I want to thank our worship team for leading us in worship. They're very faithful, and I'm thankful for the, the work they do week after week, showing up and helping us to, taking us to the throne room. You know, last night there was a, a friend of ours, uh, he got married, and uh, I was sitting at the, the wedding reception, and, and the, the groom's father spoke up, and I wrote down some things on, on, a, on a little napkin here. And uh, Doug and Debbie were sitting at our table, and, and they looked over, and I said, I'm just getting my sermon notes for in the morning. And I wrote them down, so I pulled them out. Um, welcome to spring break. Welcome to daylight savings time. Welcome to Memorial Baptist Church. And um, I want you to know that's not my sermon notes for today. Um, I don't feel like uh, just because uh, some people might be out, that I should shortchange anyone that uh, got up and came today to hear the Word of God. And so uh, I know that, uh, you know, God has something special for us today, and um, we're going to look into His Word in just a moment. Um, I would like to start a new series for the next few Sundays on some of what I like to call the minor parables. Um, These parables are parables that we don't hear preached very often, but they're parables that Jesus taught in his word. And, you know, we, we hear the, the famous ones that we could probably all tell the story about. And uh, then there's others that are not so famous. And so these are those not so famous parables. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. And uh, in Matthew chapter 13, I want to give you just a, um, if you want to open up and, and we'll camp out there for a little bit. But I want to just give you just a little bit of background. Um, Matthew's main purpose in um, writing his gospel is to prove to his Jewish readers uh, that Jesus is the Messiah. That he is the one that has been promised. He is the, 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 the anointed one. He is, he is the one who is coming to, to save. Uh, and, 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 you know, the whole gospel was written around five uh, discourses, basically five sermons that Jesus gave. And um, one of the famous ones is, is in 5 through 7, chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And then you also have uh, the uh, apostolic mission in, in chapter 10. You have how the, the reign of God comes in chapter 13. And in chapter 18, you have church discipline. And then also in chapters 23 through 25, you have uh, false teachers and, and basically the things that are, are the end of the age, the end, if you will. And so those five discourses is basically what Matthew has, has woven uh, his narrative around as he gives the gospel account of who Jesus is and what he came here to do. Um, specifically in Matthew 13, if you have your Bible open there, um, I want to uh, give you really quickly some of these. You know, there's parables in Matthew 13. There's a bunch of them. And they describe for us what God is doing in this present age from the first time Jesus came until the time when he comes again, his second coming. Okay, so it's telling us what God is doing in between there. And these parables give us the, I want to call it the mystery of history. Okay, the mystery of history in which we as Christians see just a glimpse of of history from the divine viewpoint. In other words, from the 30,000 foot level, we are able to see kind of how God sees this time in between 
Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And I want to run through just these parables for real quickly. Uh, we probably won't even have time to make much of a note on them. But the first parable we have in Matthew 13 is the parable of the sower. And in this parable, um, it, he explains the four different responses to the gospel. When the gospel is preached, there's four different responses that are given in the parable of the sower. In the parable of the wheat and the tares, the next parable here, uh, he told us about the counterfeits, those things that are um, imitating true Christianity. The parable of the mustard seed, he spoke about the abnormal growth of the gospel in the professing church. As people profess Christ, how abnormally the, the gospel just causes it to grow. And then the parable of the leaven explains how sin gets into the church and how it um, destroys vital Christian fellowship. Okay, and, and then he goes on and talks about the parable of the hidden treasure, which really shows us God's plan uh, for the nation of Israel and how that will become a reality toward the end of this age. And then the parable of the pearl shows that God's purpose for the church in which he's calling both Jew and Gentile to be one in Christ. And then the penultimate parable, the parable of the dragnet, which explained that God is in control of all. He's in control of all the evil and all the people. And at the end, there will be a separation. This is huge. Because at the end of the age, there will be a separation. And, and those who are evil will be judged when Christ comes again. See, Jesus was talking to his disciples. And this last parable in the, in the passage is verse 51 and 52. Just two verses. But I'm going to read that now. Chapter 13, verse 51 and 52. It's the parable of the householder. Verse 51 says, Jesus said, Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes. And Jesus said to them, Therefore every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Loving Father, I, I ask that in this moment, uh, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and our guide, that you would give us insight into your word. And God, that, that you would make a way where there seems to be no way. And Father, that you would fill us with your goodness. Father, that your Holy Spirit would be poured out upon your people. And God, that you would just show your mighty presence with us today. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm sorry about all that noise. You know, most scholars um, who've written on the parables of Jesus, they don't even address this parable. Um, a fellow by the name of Herbert Lockyer, he calls it the unwanted orphan of the parables. And I think it's interesting because the parable of the householder teaches us the necessity of Christians putting the truths of the kingdom to work in our lives. I mean, this is, this is big stuff. We have a responsibility, 
each one of us have a responsibility to use the truth that we have learned from Jesus Christ and to put it into practice in our lives. To, to, to make that our experience because you see, head knowledge is not enough. It's not enough for us to know what Jesus taught. We have to put it into practice in our lives. And this is, this is a problem because I know that most of the time we are educated beyond our level of obedience. We know what God's Word says. We just don't do it. And really what he's saying here is he's challenging them to put it into practice because there must be changed lives as people encounter the truth. When we come into contact with the truth and we recognize that we don't measure up, then we, something has to change. I mean, otherwise, what difference does it make if nothing ever changes? See, all through Jesus' ministry, he began with declaring the kingdom of God. You remember in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I think that's huge. Because soon Jesus became aware that uh, people did not understand what God's kingdom was all about. And so he began to teach them in parables, trying to get them to see exactly what his kingdom was about. In this chapter, he's using his, this, uh, this method of telling parables, and he described the nature of this kingdom. And then he concludes with verse 51, and he asks the disciples, he said, have you understood all these things? You know, at the Good News Club, a lot of times this reminds me of the Good News Club. You have uh, Brother Joel, and he's sharing the gospel with these children. And he, he, he'll ask the question, he'll say, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Over and over to make sure that they get and understand the gospel and what he's teaching them. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's been explaining his kingdom through these parables. And he gets to the, the end here of this teaching and he says, have you understood all these things? And all of a sudden, the disciples say, yes, we got it. Well, further study of scripture helps us to understand they didn't quite get it. Okay, their understanding was pretty shallow, if you will. I mean, it's interesting that, that they, to me that they did not have a full understanding earlier. Look back at verse 10 in this chapter. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Okay, they're wondering why he's telling stories. Okay, verse 36 and he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. They're not quite getting it. And then he goes on and he explains three more parables. And he says, Y'all understand what I'm saying? Have you, have you understood all of this? And they said, Yeah, we get it. <laughs> but obviously, as we... Look at Scripture, we understand. They did not really understand. Their actions showed a shallow and limited understanding because truth must be applied to experience. 
Truth must be uh, applied to our experience. My point is this. Truth must first be realized mentally. In other words, we have to hear and we have to understand the truth. And then once we hear and understand the truth, the truth must also be applied to our life for it to be effective. I mean, that's what Peter said in 2 Peter 3.18, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But folks, folks, this is to put it in experiential knowledge. We have an experience with Jesus Christ. I hope you don't know, just know about Jesus Christ, but I hope that you know by experience who Jesus is. See, that's what I'm talking about, and that's the difference. Because a lot of times we read God's Word and we understand what it says because it's written in English and we speak English and we understand English or whatever language it might be and we understand it and we take it in. But then we never apply it to our life. And really that's what Jesus is saying here. I mean, the disciples, they were, they were growing in their understanding, but unless they give unwavering attention and obedience to His teachings... They're not going to have what they need. They're going to be as dense as the crowd was that followed Jesus. You remember they were following him because he was doing these signs and miracles? Oh, they showed up just so they could be fed. Don't we do that? I don't want to be like them. I want to be like one of the disciples who was trained, who understood. And I think this is important because these disciples were most definitely growing in their understanding, but they weren't there yet. They didn't get it. And as soon as the disciples say they understood the truth of these parables, our Lord hits them with the responsibility to act on that truth that they claim to know. It's like he's, he's giving them a demonstration of emerald, you know. Bam! All of a sudden it's bam! Light, light comes with responsibility. And that's what he's telling them. You've, you, I've given you these stories. I've explained the kingdom of heaven to you. And now, boom! You've got the responsibility to, to take it and, and use it. It's not just so that you will know a cool story or a cool analogy or something. It's so that you will use it and implement it in your life. You see, Christ said that these disciples are compared to the scribes. A disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a scribe. See, scribes were the teachers and the preachers of the law in the Old Testament. They were the teachers of the Israelites. They were the authoritative interpreters of the Word of God. Their task was to interpret the Bible for the Jewish people and to apply the Scriptures to life. That's what a scribe did. They applied the Scriptures to life. See, Christ's followers, of whom we are, are trained, discipled, or instructed in and for his kingdom. See, some of us think that we came to Christ and you know what? We, we've got our fire insurance. We're not going to go to hell because we've claimed Jesus as our Lord. But you know what? There's more to it than that. 
There's a whole lot more to, to being saved and sanctified and, and, and being a disciple than just being saved from our sin. There's more to it, and he taught that. We're trained and instructed and discipled in and for the kingdom. I mean, that's what he's talking about. For the kingdom of heaven is like. See, this applies to not only his 12 disciples, but to all of his disciples. See, we're to be the interpreters of the Bible. Not just the hearers, but also the doers. The hearers and the doers who are trained in the kingdom so that we're able to instruct others also in the kingdom. They don't get the kingdom. They don't understand it. They weren't raised in the kingdom. They don't get it. So we are to be the ones who interpret to help them be the hearer and a doer of the word in the kingdom. I just want to say, listen. It's the Christian's business to understand life. To be able to say to people, this is what the word of God says. And this is how you apply it to your life. That's your job and mine. A disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a scribe. I love that. I mean, it's our family business to learn how to live and to handle life correctly. And we're to share that with others. You know, my seminary experience coming out... This is an Adam's paraphrase. Jesus was saying this. You've been given the treasure of the kingdom. Now this is what you do with what I gave you. This is how you use it. And the first that I, that I pull out, I pull three things out of here. That, that there's a, a, a scribe, a disciple, and a, 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 a head of household. The first is that a disciple studies a disciple studies. The word disciple usually suggests the twelve from whom Jesus chose. Um, and the word, however, has a more general meaning. A disciple is a student. Someone who studies and follows someone or something. And Jesus told his followers that they were to be students who directed their minds toward the matters of the kingdom. In other words, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. See, every Christian ought to be a student. Well, Brother Ridge, I graduated and I'm, I'm done studying. You need to be studying the Word of God. <laughs> you know, there's an inexhaustiveness to the Word of God. There's, a, there's an infinitude here of the mysteries of God that can never be completely comprehended. It is the living Word of God that is constantly giving and, and, and opening up to us. And God is showing and, and helping us discover truth. So we must continue to search God's Word. And our studies should proceed on a regular basis. I mean, the earliest usage of the word disciple meant a disciplined study. Regular study in God's word and the ways of God is a pathway that leads to real discipleship. See, discipleship is another word for fellowship. Okay? So if you're not a disciple, that means you're probably not following. 
And if you're not following, then who is, who is your Lord? Because it's my understanding that if we follow Jesus, if we believe him, if we say that he is our Lord and Savior, then we are going to want to follow him wherever he goes. Folks, that is discipleship. Secondly, I see in this the householder. And it says the householder provides. You know, a householder was a person who has complete authority over the distribution of, of things that are stored in their house. And, you know, in the, in the house treasury, I mean, it, it's interesting because I think about this some. I, I, I pay our bills in our home. Uh, and, and, you know, that there's, there's a lot of needs that come out of that paycheck. Okay? I'm thankful that we now have a, a second income with Tracy, but it hadn't always been that way. And, and I recognize that out of that treasury, many needs are filled. It might be shoes, it might be coats, it might be who knows, all, all manner of, of, of things come out of, that, uh, out of that treasury. But the householder was a person who had complete authority over the distribution of the goods stored in the treasury of the house. So that means that the householder had to have a familiarity with the people in that house so that they could know what the needs are. Of the different ones in that house. The householder would provide the supplies needed. So that it would enable each person to have their needs met. And to be equipped to fulfill the appointed task. I mean if, if I want one of my sons to go to the store and pick up a gallon of milk. I've got to give them the money to do that. They're not going to come up with it on their own. They never have. been quite a few years in the process and usually when they come and they ask for something it's because they don't have the resources they don't have the funds and they're wanting the head of household to provide that for them at some level I might not meet all their wants but you know especially when they were younger as they were growing up we would take care of their needs I mean what what good parent wouldn't take care of of their son or daughter's needs or their spouse's needs or their own needs. I mean, you think about that. It, 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 it provides for a lot and it's a reminder of the diversity of the gifts that we have in the family of God. There's a lot of different people that need to be provided for. There's a lot of different needs. There's a, not, a lot of different things, but um, God provides for each and every one of us. And in addition, it's a reminder to the, the diversity and in, in the needs of the family. I mean, we think about this like a householder. We have to be sensitive to the needs of others. Frankly, we're so consumed with our own needs that we never take the time to get to know someone intimately enough that we can help meet their need as well. Now, I think that's, that's important because to whom much is given... Much is required. Thirdly, he says, talks about a scribe. And a scribe teaches. You have a disciple that studies. You have a household, head of household that provides. You have a scribe who teaches. And the word scribe here paints yet another picture. The scribe was a teacher who stood in the midst of the people. 
and shared the meaning of God's word with them. And I would say so it is with the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' followers were to be like scribes who taught his truth to others. The ultimate purpose of study is not so that we will know, but so that we will share it with others, so that we can teach others also. One pastor, he carried out his ministry under the theme, Abiding Truths in in Changing Categories. And that really should be our approach. You know, we extract things out of the Word of God, and we teach from the old and the new treasures of God's kingdom that perfect spiritual blend for our day. 2 Corinthians 4 says this. It says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We have Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. <laughs> in whom Christ, Colossians 2, 3, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We have Christ. We have all we need. We share that with others what we have found, where we are at. You know, I I love this because in this verse it says, Therefore every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Our Lord says that the householder brings forth out of his treasure things new and old. What are the things new and old? I'm not absolutely certain, but I believe it must refer in some regard to the Old and New Testament. We have both Testaments on this side. We have the opportunity to know truth and we have the benefit of both Testaments to interpret kingdom truths. Things new and old may also refer to the truths of the kingdom that are applied to life. The new things are things that are constantly changing experiences of our lives. Think about this. We all are faced every day with new and fresh experiences. And for each day, Christ, our treasure, is exposing us to new truth and experiences. I got to tell you, this is, this is so applicable because right now I am experiencing new things that I've never experienced before. I've never been this age before. I've never been 54. And in March 2019, it's all new to me. I mean, I'm learning things about life. I'm learning things about myself that I didn't know. New things. I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know I couldn't do that. I'm learning things about people. New things about ministry that I didn't consider before. That all of a sudden, out of the treasure, 
out of the treasure, out of Christ, these new things are being revealed. I'm learning new things about being a husband after 32 years of marriage. Kind of thought I'd have it dialed in by now. I'm still learning stuff. Something new. I'm still learning things about my parents. TMI there, okay? (laughs) You know I'm right. (laughs) You know, I'm... I'm (laughs) I'm running into experiences as a father that I've never had before. Because my kids have never been at this age. And then we have grandkids. Well, let me show you some pictures here. Just kidding. But you too are having new experiences. Every single one of us is having new experiences in life. I mean, some of you may be experiencing being on your own in life for the very first time. Maybe you're falling in love. Maybe some of you are just starting the new experience of marriage. You know, maybe maybe you are uh, entering that experience of, of parenthood, of being a parent for the first time. Still others of you are experienced for the first time maybe being alone. Or dealing with sickness. Or some other kind of of life crisis. And some of you may even be staring death in the face. But it's all new. It's an all new experience for us. You've never done this before. And it's all fresh and new to you. And listen, no matter how many other millions of people have gone through the same things that you are going through right now, You're experiencing it for the first time. In each one of these experiences, we must draw on Christ's power. On His grace. On His peace. On His wisdom. On His mercy. On His knowledge. In order that we might be able to cope and manage. And I want to say handle or even survive these new experiences. Because we don't always understand it and we don't always get it. But we know somebody who does. Somebody who has been there. Somebody who can guide us through those new times. I love this because it says, Who brings out of his treasure things new. And a lot of times you ask somebody how they're doing. You say, how are you doing today? They say, same old, same old. That's not true. You haven't lived today ever before. He brings out of his treasure the new, but it also says that he brings out the old. So what is the old things? The old things are the abiding, the eternal, the enduring principles. The steadfast relationship The unchanging truths that last forever which are found in God's Word. See, the Bible contains the truth of God and the humanity, uh, truths that will never change. We call these absolute truths. 
We can always count on these truths because God, His laws, and His promises never change. See, the danger is that we can become so familiar with it, with the things of God, that we lose sight of the incredible worth of the things that He values. We forget. We lose sight. We get busy doing our own thing and we lose sight of the immeasurable worth that God has given us in His Word. The treasure that He has given us in Jesus Christ. You see, one of the great lies that is being put out there today, and this is huge, it's being put out to this generation is that everything changes. Culture says that everything is changing, that everything is always different, that there are situational ethics, the new morality, process theology, the abandoning of all absolutes, hear me now, is a great satanic lie. Because there are some things that never change. The truth of God's word never changes. It's not truth for some people and not truth for others. It is truth for everybody. And at some point, we will be judged according to this truth as we stand before Almighty God. We know that God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. May I suggest to you that the key to understanding and dealing with life is a blending of the new and the old. We have to have those abiding, eternal truths, those old things in our lives that that maintain and, and remain steady, even in the midst of the new that keeps constantly coming in and pouring into our lives. We need both. We need both. We must apply the eternal to our current experiences, the old to the new. You know, maybe there is someone here today who's frustrated, who may be searching for answers. Maybe you've tried to fill the spiritual void. Maybe you've bought into the lie that all things are changing. That God changes, that His law changes, that right and wrong is changing. Folks, understand this. The devil is a liar. He is a liar. Maybe you've not been able to find the the key to having peace with God. Or even having the peace of God. But listen, only Jesus can eternally fill the void in your life. Because everything else that we experience is temporary. The spiritual void that is in each one of our lives is due to sin. Because sin separates us from God who is holy. It separates us. And you must change your mind about God and about Jesus the Messiah and about your sin and and, and receive Christ as your, your Lord and Savior if you ever hope to be saved and have the peace that you desire within. See, I'm almost done. But listen, you must give up any hope of saving yourself by being good enough. 
And instead, you must place your trust in Christ to save you by His grace. And I want to say this with all the concern and all the compassion I can, is that the world is filled with nice people. The world is filled with nice people who are in fact kind and they're moral and they're considerate of others. But don't ever forget this, that nobody's nice enough to be righteous in God's eyes. You know why? It's because all the niceness in the world cannot remove the stain of sin in our lives. The nicest person in the world is still a sinner. And without Jesus, even nice sinners can't be saved. See, Jesus didn't come here to tell us what we want to hear. He didn't come here uh, to tell us uh, to tickle our ears, but he came here to, to tell us the truth. And Jesus says that at the end of the age, and that's what part of these parables are talking about, at the end of the age, there will be a great separation, and God will separate us. You will be one or the other. You will be righteous or wicked, redeemed or condemned, saved or unsaved, Believer or unbeliever, disciple of Christ or rebel against Christ. But notice, nice without Jesus was not one of those options. We're not a country club where you come and pay your dues, socialize, and then leave. We're not a performing arts center where talented people get to do their thing up on stage and the congregation applauds and nods approvingly and then leaves unaffected. Folks, we are the body of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit and commissioned to proclaim to the world that Jesus saves. That's who we are. And that's what we're to be about. When Jesus says, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. I want to leave you with one, one more verse. John five twenty four. Jesus said it himself. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this parable. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening it up and unlocking it for us and just showing us the truth of your word. I ask, Father, that in the time that remains of our time together, Father, that you would be glorified. Father, that you would draw men and women and sons and daughters to yourself. Father, that we would be open and laid bare before you. 
Father, the reality is, is we've not been obedient to your son, Jesus. He has called us to proclaim his excellencies to the world around us. And Father, most of the time we, we stand silently. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts. Father, that we would see the need and the urgency of this hour, that we would be like the sons of Issachar, who knew the times and knew exactly what Israel should do. Father, that by spending time with you in your word, Father, that you would help us to to have something to give away. Father, that we would be the interpreters of your word, that you would show us how to apply your word, not only to our lives, but to those who are groping in darkness, those who are searching, those who are seeking what life is about. Father, that we would have the answer for them. Father, that we would no longer be silent, but Father, that we would stand up and be counted for your kingdom as your people. Father, I pray that we would see the importance of following you more closely. God, that we would desire, like Andy said last week, or week before last, that we would be uh, following you closer to the wall, Father, that we would be the ones that, that, that want to be close to you. God, that we would be done dabbling, that we would no longer be an onlooker, a passerby, but, Father, that we would be your disciples. Father, help us to do that by your power and by your word. Lord, we love you. I ask that you would bless this time. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.